Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Cast, part 23, mm. the 23rd part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Jordan. The, 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 our Jordan episode. It's our Jordan episode. Uh, I had a friend in college who at one point, like I was speaking to her at a party and she was like, Molly, I'm about to, I'm about to hit my uh, Michael Jordan number. And I was like, what? She was like, I'm going to have sex with my 23rd guy. Oh, <laughs> I was congrats. like, cool. <laughs> that rocks. Anyway, she's married now. Well, Not that that changes anything. Her. Yeah. Uh, maybe was it lucky number 23? Uh, it was not. I, I would have to assume it was more like a, a Scotty Pippen or, or something. <laughs> I actually don't know what Scotty Pippen's name or number is. I assume it's 30 something. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Sound off in the comments. Sound what was, off in what the was comments. What was Scotty Pippen's number? I'm just going to use my reality distortion field to say he was number 34. <laughs> and I just tried to search it on my phone with my non-podcast hand, and I searched Scotty Piope. Scotty Piope. Wait, he's number 33. Good guess. I have some, There's something in, ingrained in me that knows. That knows the Anyway, I think it was her, maybe her Scotty Pippen that she settled down with for good. Uh, nice. Um. We have a lot of stuff to talk about on the back end of this uh, that's both related and not related to the actual content of this podcast. So let's dive right into the reading. Let's go. All right, let's go. Fourth November, year of the Depend Adult Undergarment. From Cambridge's Latinate Inman Square, Michael Pemulus, nobody's fool at all, rides one necessary bus. Do they, do, do they, does he say nobody's fool at all every time he introduces Michael Pemulus? I'll track it. I'm I think not he sure. does. Yeah. He's at least said it before. It's like his, um, uh, what do you call it? In, in like old books, there would be like your oh, fuck. Descript- like the, the, you know the Homeric I mean? thing. Yes, where, yes, yeah. yes. It'd oh, yeah. be like fucking crazy Odysseus, always pulling tricks <laughs> always on pulling people. Twi- tricks. And then they would say what he actually. I forget did. what those are fucking called. Uh, the only one, the other sound one. Sound off in the comments. <laughs> sound off in the comments. The only thing that I remember, uh, the the classic one uh, for the Homeric writing is the Wine Dark Sea. Of course, <laughs> they're like that Wine Dark Sea. Remember that one? Yes, we still dark. We stand a Wine Dark Sea. Still dark, approximately the shade of wine. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Michael Pemulus, nobody's fool at all, rides one necessary bus to Central Square and then an unnecessary bus to Davis Square and a train back to Central. This is to throw off the slightest possible chance of pursuit. At Central, he catches the red line to Park Street Station, where he's parked the tow truck in an underground lot he can more than afford. <laughs> the day is autumnal and mild. The east breeze smelling of urban commerce and the vague suede smell of new fallen leaves. The sky is pilot light blue. Sunlight reflects complexly off the smoked glass sides of tall centers of commerce all around Park Street downtown. Pemulus wears button fly chinos and an ETA shirt beneath a snazzy blue Brioni sport coat, plus the bright white yachting cap that Mario Incandenza calls his Mr. Howell hat. I don't know what that reference is. Do you? Uh, I I believe that is a Gilligan's Island reference. Okay. Mr. Howell, I believe, was the the rich the rich guy in Gilligan's Island. Uh, the hat looks rakish, even when turned around <laughs> backwards, <laughs> and it has a detachable lining. Inside the lining can be kept portable quantities of just about anything. Having indulged in 150 milligrams of very mild Drins post transaction. Wearing also gray and blue saddle Oxfords without socks. It's such a mild autumn day. The streets literally bustle. 
Vendors with carts instead of tubs sell hot pretzels and tonics and those underboiled franks Pemulus likes to have them put the works on. You can see the state house and common and courthouse and public gardens and beyond all that, the cool, smooth facades of Back Bay brownstones. The echoes in the underground Park Place garage, Park, are pleasantly complex. Traffic westward on Commonwealth Ave is light, meaning things can move all the way through, (laughs) oh, that Boston traffic, Uh, all the way through Kenmore Square and past Boston University and up the long, slow hill into Alston and Enfield. When Tavis and Stitt and the players and ground crew and Testar and Asks Me teams inflate the all-weather lung for the winter over courts 16 to 32, the domed lungs nacelle is visible against the horizon all the way down by the Brighton Ave, Com Ave split in Lower Alston. The incredibly potent DMZ is apparently classed as a paramethoxylated amphetamine, but really it looks to Pemulus from his slow and tortured survey of the med.com's monographs, more like more similar to the anticholinergic uh, deliriant class, way more powerful than mescaline or MDA or DMA or TMA or MDMA or DOM or STP or the IV ingestible DMT. Uh, or uh, ololiuqui, or detours scopolamine, or fluothane, or bufotenine, a.k.a. Jackie O, (laughs) or ebene, or psilocybin, or silert. It's not until we hit silert that we go to endnote 56. (laughs) Or PMA, (laughs) grievous bod, nutmegs, myristicin, or Hawaiian baby woodrose seeds urgine, or the African iboga's ibogaine, the yage's harmaline, or the fly agaric fungus's well-known muscimol, which Fitviavi's derived DMZ resembles chemically sort of the way an F-18 resembles a Piper cub. Nice. And we go back. DMZ resembling chemically some miscegenation of a lysergic with a muscimoloid, but significantly different from LSD-25 in that its effects are less visual and spatially cerebral and more like temporally cerebral and almost ontological with some sort (laughs) of manipulated phenylkylamine-like speediness whereby the ingester perceives his relation to the ordinary flow of time as radically and euphorically is where the muximal affective resemblance shows its head altered. You know what that is? That's Dread, baby. Yeah, it's, that's uh, slow-mo from the movie slow-mo Dread. slow 2012's Dread. Uh, which we watched last, last night. night. <laughs> <laughs> this, um, uh, that sentence takes us to EndNote 57. Ingesters' accounts of the temporal perception consequences of DMZ in the literature are, as far as Pemulus is concerned, vague and inelegant and more like mystical in the Tibetan dead book vein than rigorous <laughs> or referentially clear. One account Pemulus doesn't completely get, but at least can get the neurotitillating gist of is one monograph's toss-off quote from an Italian lithographer who'd ingested DMZ once <laughs> and made a lithograph comparing himself on DMZ to a piece of, like, futurist sculpture plowing at high knottage through time itself, kinetic even in stasis, plowing temporally ahead, with time coming off him like water in sprays and wakes. Okay, I th- I'm getting the vibe You're here. getting the vibe of DMZ? Yeah. 
The incredibly potent DMZ is synthesized from a derivative of Fitviavi, an obscure mold that grows only on other molds. The black mold. Mm-hmm. Oh, my son ate this. Oh no! Oh, I'm yeah. I've I think I'm I'm understanding things by the same ambivalently lucky chemist at Sando's farm who'd first stumble on LSD as a relatively aphebic and clueless organic chemist while futzing around with ergodic fungi on rye. DMZ's discovery was the tail end of the BS 1960s, just about the same time Dr. Alan Watts was considering T. Leary's invitation to become writer in resonance at Leary's <laughs> utopian LSD 25 colony in Millbrook, New York, on what is now Canadian soil. Uh, end note um, if you would like to know more about uh, the utopian LSD community and how fucking crazy it was, I highly recommend the two part Tim Leary dollop series. Absolutely. Which is very informative and very entertaining. And those guys were complete nutters. It's very immersive in a way that I feel like it's hard. I like knew about Timothy Leary's whole thing, but like hearing kind of beat by beat yeah, was pretty Yeah, go through it. It's nuts. great. It yeah. go, the dollop Timothy Leary series, very good. Yeah. Uh, a substance, even just the accidental synthesis of which sent sent the Sandoz chemist into early retirement and serious unblinking wall watching. The incredibly potent DMZ has a popular lay chemical underground reputation as the single grimmest thing ever conceived in a tube. It is now also the hardest recreational compound to acquire in North America after raw Vietnamese opium, which forget it. (laughs) DMZ is sometimes also referred to in some Metro Boston chemical circles as Madame Psychosis after a popular very early morning cult radio personality on MIT's student-run radio station WYYY 109, <laughs> largest whole prime on the FM band, <laughs> which Mario Incandenza and ETA Stats Weenie and Eschaton Game Master Otis P. Lord listened to almost <laughs> religiously. The day shift and at house kid at the booth who raises the portcullis to let him onto the grounds had a couple times in October approached Pemulus about a potential transaction. Pemulus has a rigid policy about not transacting with ETA employees who come up the hill from the halfway house since he knows some of them are at the place on court order and knows for a fact they pull unscheduled urines all over the place down there, and types like the Ennett House types are just the sorts of people Pemulus's talents let him get away from in terms of, like, social milieu and mixing and transacting, and his basic attitude with these low-rent employees is one of unfoolish discretion and, like, why tempt fate? <laughs> the East Courts are empty and ball-strewn when Pemulus pulls in. Most of them are still at lunch. Pemulus, Trolched, and Shacked's triple room is in subdorm B in the back north part of the second floor of West House and so super adjacent to the dining hall, from which through the floor Pemulus can hear voices and silverware and can smell exactly what they're having. The first thing he does is boot up the phone console and try Ink and Mario's room over in ComAd, where Hal is sitting in window light with a riverside hamlet he told Mario he'd read and help with a conceptual film-type project based on part of mm-hmm. his uncushioned captain's chair, partly under an old print of a detail from the minor and softcore Alexandrian mosaic consummation of the leverates. <laughs> uh, let's, I'll get back to that in a second, because that doesn't have an end note, but it deserves one. 
eating an Amino Pal energy bar and waiting very <laughs> casually. Amino Pal, uh, Amino Pal with a restricted R sign. Yes, of course. R- registered, restricted. A registered trademark. Registered. Uh, and waiting very casually, the phone with its antenna already out lying ready on the arm of the chair and two folio-sized Barron's SAT prep guides and a spine-shot copy of the BS 1937 Tilden on Spin and his keys on their neck chain lying on the Lindisfarne carpet by his shoe, waiting in a very casual posture. <laughs> Tal deliberately waits till the audio con reminds you of anyone, someone who's maybe waiting for a call from someone who has some substances, mm-hmm. maybe okay, our yeah, old yeah, yeah, friend yeah. Ken Erdady. Hal deliberately waits till the audio console's third ring, like a girl at home on Saturday night. Mm, yellow. The turd emergeth, Pemulus's clear and digitally condensed voice on the line. Repeat, the turd emergeth. Please commit a crime, is Hal and Condensa's immediate reply. Gracious me, Pemulus says into the phone, tucked under his jaw, carefully de-velcroing the lining of his Mr. Howell hat. I need to point out because I just saw this. Uh, the first of all, Hal is studying and waiting for his weed call under the minor and softcore Alexandrian mosaic. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you remember his conversation with his daddy, where he says he has an interest in like Byzantine erotica. Uh, I don't remember that, but well, he does. He does. But the interesting thing of the consummation of the leverates. Uh huh. So ONAN, right? Yeah. Uh, Organization of North American Nations. Right. The the play on the words is obviously ONAN. Right. Whacking it. Yes. Everyone misinterprets the idea of um the story in the Bible of the Onanites, uh, the Onanites which is that um God punishes you for wasting your seed. Uh-huh. Uh that's not I'm going to have to look this up because that's not quite what happens. Is it uh, is it what that that they uh they're they didn't encourage their children to succeed or something uh, more than they uh, they spilt it on the dirty ground. Please, please hold. Okay. Oh, God. Um, the real sin of Onan. Uh, God was mad at Onan. Okay. God kills Onan's brother for reasons which are a bit obscure. <laughs> because this, the Old Testament God just fucked with people. He was fucking crazy. You know what? He, Guess what? Your brother's dead. Still believe in me? Do you believe in me, bitch? You better. <laughs> <laughs> this is from infinitesummer.org, by the way. This I need to cite my sources. Is uh, this like an, uh, an infinite just annotation site? Yes. Um, Onan's brother's widow was left childless, but it was the custom that Onan was required to marry her and father a child upon her. Ah, this, just like the Bidens. Just like the Bidens. Uh, this child would legally be his brother's, even though he was dead. Okay. Uh, this was known as leverate marriage. Uh-huh. Onan didn't want any children who weren't legally his, so Onan went into his brother's wife, but pulled out early and spilled his seed on the ground. His real sin was refusing to consummate his leverate marriage. Ah. Uh, so the... the, the so what? The, the, he has a a, a a Byzantine mosaic of somebody pulling out. Yes, <laughs> over his bed. It's a lot of effort for a throwaway joke that I did not for pick a, up until for my a throwaway third a throwaway dirty joke. How funny is that? That's very funny. What what a guy! All right, let's keep going. Uh, okay, this is tennis and the feral prodigy, narrated by Hal and Condensa an 11.5-minute digital entertainment cartridge directed, recorded, edited, and, according to the entry form, written by Mario and Condensa, 
In receipt of new New England regional honorable mention in interlaced tell entertainment's annual new eyes, new voices, young filmmakers contest, <laughs> April in the year of the you shit you 2007 mimetic resolution cartridge view motherboard, easy to install upgrade for Infernatron interlaced TP systems for home officer mobile sick. Almost exactly three years after Dr. James O. Incondensa passed from this life. Here is how to put on a big red tent of a shirt that has ETA across the chest in gray. Please ease carefully into your supporter and adjust the elastic straps so that the straps do not bite into your butt and make bulged ridges in your butt that everyone can see once you've sweated through your shorts. Here is how to wrap your torn ankle so tightly in its flesh-toned ace bandage your left leg feels like a log. Here is how to win later. This is a yellow iron mesh ball hopper full of dirty green old dead balls. Take them to the east courts while the dawn is still chalky and no one's around except the morning doves that infest the pines at sunrise and the air is so soft you can see your summer breath. I love those ball hoppers that mm-hmm. you just press down on the tennis ball and they it, it like pops in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the funnest part about playing tennis as Aww. a kid. Uh, hit serves to no one. Make a mess of balls along the base of the opposite fence as the sun hauls itself up over the harbor and a thin sweat breaks and the serves start to boom. Stop thinking and let it flow and go boom, boom. The shiver of the ball against the opposite fence. Hit about a thousand serves to no one while himself sits and advises with his flask. Older men's legs are white and hairless from decades in pants. Here's the set of keys a stride's length before you in the court as you serve dead balls to no one. After each serve, you must almost, uh, you must almost fall forward into the court and in one smooth motion, bend and scoop up the keys with your left hand. This is how to train yourself to follow through into the court after the serve. You, still, years after the man's death, cannot keep your keys anywhere but on the floor. This is how to hold the stick. Learn to call the racket a stick. Everyone does here. It's a tradition. The stick. Something so much an extension of you deserves a sobriquet. Please look. You'll be shown exactly once how to hold it. This is how to hold it. Just like this. Forget all the near eastern slice backhand grip baffle gab. <laughs> Just say hello is all. Just shake hands with the calf grit, calfskin grip of the stick. This is how to hold it. The stick is your friend. You will become very close. Grasp your friend firmly at all times. A firm grip is essential for both control and power. Here is how to carry a tennis ball around in your stick hand, squeezing it over and over for long stretches of time. In class, on the phone, in lab, in front of a TP, a wet ball for the shower. (laughs) Ideally squeezing it at all times except during meals. See the academy dining hall where tennis balls sit beside every plate. Squeeze the tennis ball rhythmically month after year until you feel it no more than your heart squeezing blood and your right forearm is three times the size of your left and your arm from across a court like a gorilla's arm or a stevedore's arm pasted on the body of a child. Here is how to do extra individual drills before the academy's AM drills before breakfast so that after the thousandth ball hit just out of reach by himself, with his mammoth wingspan and ghastly calves, urging you with nothing but smiles onto great and greater demonstrations of effort so that after you've gotten your third and final wind and must vomit, there is little inside to vomit, and the spasms pass quickly, and an east breeze blows cooler past you, and you feel clean and can breathe. 
Here is how to don red and gray ETA sweats and squad jog a weekly 40 kilometers up and down urban Commonwealth Ave, even though you would rather set your hair on fire than jog in a pack. Jogging is painful and pointless, but you are not in charge. Your brother gets to ride shotgun while a senile German blows BBs at your legs, both of them laughing and screaming, Schnell! Enfield is due east of the Marathon's Hills of Heartbreak, which are just up Commonwealth past the reservoir in Newton. Urban jogging in a sweaty pack is tedious. Have himself hunched down to put a long, pale arm around your shoulders and tell you that his own father had told him that talent is sort of a dark gift, that talent is its own expectation. It is there from the start and either lived up to or lost. Have a father whose own father lost what was there. Have a father who lived up to his own promise and then found thing after thing to meet and surpass the expectations of his promise in and didn't seem just a whole hell of a lot happier or tightly wrapped than his own failed father, (laughs) leaving you yourself in a kind of feral and flux-ridden state with respect to talent. Here is how to avoid thinking about any of this by practicing and playing until everything runs on autopilot and talent's unconscious exercise becomes a way to escape yourself a long waking dream of pure play. The irony is that this makes you very good and you start to become regarded as having a prodigious talent to live up to. Here is how to handle being a feral prodigy. Here is how to handle being seated at tournaments, signifying that seating committees uh, composed of old big-armed men publicly expect you to reach a certain round. Reaching at least the round you're supposed to is known at tournaments as justifying your seed. (laughs) <laughs> the onan spilling the, justify, the seed justifying yeah. the seed girl by repeating this term over and over perhaps in the justify same justify my seed justify my seed <laughs> by repeating this term over and over perhaps in the same rhythm at which you squeeze a ball you can reduce it to an empty series of phonemes just formants and fricatives trochaically stressed signifying zip Here is how to beat unseated, wide-eyed opponents from Iowa or Rhode Island in the early (laughs) rounds of tournaments without expending much energy, but also without seeming contemptuous. This is how to play with personal integrity in a tournament's early rounds, when there is no empire. Any ball that lands on your side and is too close to call, call it fair. Here is how to be invulnerable to gamesmanship, to keep your attention's aperture tight. Here is how to teach yourself when an opponent maybe cheats on the line calls, to remind yourself that what goes around comes around, that a poor sports punishment is always self-inflicted. Try to learn to let what is unfair teach you. Here's how to spray yourself down exactly once with Lemon Pledge, the ultimate sunscreen. Then discover that when you go out and sweat into it, it smells like close-order skunk. Here's how to take non-narcotic muscle relaxants for the back spasms that come from thousands of serves to no one. Here's how to weep in bed, trying to remember when your torn blue ankle didn't hurt every minute. This is the whirlpool, a friend. Here's how to set up the electric ball machine at dawn on the days himself is away, living up to what will be his final talent. Here is how to tie a bow tie. Here's how to sit through small openings of your father's first art films, surrounded by surly foreign cigarette smoke and conversations so pretentious you literally cannot believe them. You're sure you have misheard them. Pretend you're engaged by the jagged angles and multiple exposures without pretending you have the slightest idea what's going on. Assume your brother's expression. Here is how to sweat. 
here's how to hand a trophy to lateral Alice Moore to put in the ETA lobby's glass case under its system of spotlights and small signs. What is unfair can be a stern but invaluable teacher. Here's how to pack carbohydrates into your tissues for four singles, two doubles match day in a Florida June. In a Florida June. Please learn to sleep with perpetual sunburn. Expect some rough dreams. They come with the territory. Try to accept them. Let them teach you. Keep a flashlight by your bed. It helps with the dreams. Please make no extramural friends. Discourage advances from outside the circuit. Turn down dates. If you do exactly the rehabilitative exercises they assign you, no matter how silly and tedious, the ankle will mend more quickly. This type of stretch helps prevent the groin pull. Treat your knees and elbow with all reasonable care. You will have them with you for a long time. Here's how to turn down an extramural date so you won't be asked again. Say something like, I'm terribly sorry I can't come out to see Eight and a Half revived on a wall-sized Cambridge Celluloid Festival viewer on Friday, Kimberly or Daphne. But you see, if I jump rope for two hours, then jog backwards through Newton till I puke, they'll let me watch match cartridges, and then my mother will read aloud to me from the OED until 2200 lights out and see, etc. Uh, so you can be sure that henceforth, Daphne slash Kimberly slash Jennifer will take her adolescent mating dance type ritual socialization business somewhere else. Be on guard. The road widens and many of the detours are seductive. Be constantly focused and on alert. Feral talent is its own set of expectations and can abandon you at any one of the detours of so-called normal American life at any time. So be on guard. Here is how to Chanel. Here is how to go through your normal adolescent growth spurt and have every limb in your body ache like a migraine because selected groups of muscles have been worked until thick and intensile and they resist as the sudden growth of bone tries to stretch them and they ache all the time. There is medication for this condition. If you are an adolescent, here's the trick to being neither, qu neither quite a nerd nor quite a jock. Be no one. It is easier than you think. Here's how to read the monthly ETA and USTA and ONANTA rankings the way himself read scholars' reviews of his multiple exposure melodramas. Learn to care and not to care. They mean the rankings to help you determine where you are, not who you are. Memorize your monthly rankings and forget them. Here, <laughs> here's how. Never tell anyone where you are. This is, how, uh, this is also how not to fear sleep or dreams. Never tell anyone where you are. Please learn the pragmatics of expressing fear. Sometimes words that seem to express really invoke. This, <laughs> this can be tricky. Here's how to get free sticks and strings and clothes and gear from Dunlop Incorporated. As long as you let them spray paint the distinctive Dunlop logo on your stick strings and sew logos on your shoulder and the left pocket of your shorts, and use a Dunlop gear bag, and you become a walking, lunging, sweating advertisement for Dunlop, Inc. This is all as long as you keep justifying your seed and preserving your rank. The Dunlop, Inc. New New England Regional Athletic Rep will address you as our gray swan. <laughs> he wears designer slacks and choking cologne and about twice a year wants to help you dress and has to be slapped like a gnat. Ooh. Yuck. Be a student of the game. Like most cliches of sport, this is profound. You can be shaped or you can be broken. There is not much in between. Try to learn. Be coachable. 
try to learn from everybody, especially those who fail. This is hard. Peers who fizzle or blow up or fall down, run away, disappear from the monthly rankings, drop off the circuit. ETA peers waiting for Delint to knock quietly at their door and ask to chat. Opponents. It's all educational. How promising you are as a student of the game is a function of what you can pay attention to without running away. Nets and fences can be mirrors. And between the nets and fences, opponents are also mirrors. This is why the whole thing is scary. This is why all opponents are scary, and weaker opponents are especially scary. See yourself in your opponents. They will bring you to understand the game, to accept the fact that the game is about managed fear, that its object is to send from yourself what you hope will not return. This is your body. They want you to know. You will have it with you always. On this issue, there is no counsel. You must make your best guess. For myself, I do not expect ever really to know. But in the interval, if it is an interval, here's Motrin for your joints, Noxema for your burn, Lemon Pledge if you prefer nausea to burn, Contracol for your back, Benzoin for your hands, Epsom salts and anti-inflammatories for your ankle, and extracurriculars for your folks who just wanted to make sure you didn't miss anything they got. <sighs> mm. What do you think? Let's call it there. That's 28 minutes of reading. Great. Um... Poor Hal. Yes, uh, it's very intense. Uh, having expectations of your of yourself can be very can great, be a lot. Great expectations, very stressful. Very stressful. It's but you know I'm sure Pip would would say maybe it was better to not have any expectations at all. Yeah, man. The mediocre expectations are fine, especially given the last chapter that we read, knowing uh, the uh, generational trauma of of expectations mm-hmm. in the Incandenza family. You're you're. Grandpa never lived up to his his promise. Your dad lived up to many promises, and both of them are insane. Uh-huh. Where does that leave you? <laughs> Just trying to be, as he says several times in that passage, nobody. A boy, a boy is no one. A boy is no one. <laughs> a tennis player is no one. Uh, he's trying. He apparently is trying to be nothing to everyone. It's uh, it's Hal who ate the mold, right? Correct. So is he like perpetually going in slow motion, or in some kind of uh, like drug-induced time slip. I don't. If I can answer without spoiling, I I don't think the temporal effects of what he ate uh-huh. continually affect him. But I do think something happened there. Okay, which so we'll I, learn I, more. I'm about. supposed to pick that up. Yeah. Right, right. That this that this uh, insane drug is is based off of a uh, a mold, mold a mold that has grown it that has itself grown mold. Yes. Um, but he ate that as a kid. But Pemulus is is he's searching for it in yes. the drug market of of, of Boston of as Boston, well. Because yes. Pemulus is a psychonaut. He is a psych. Oh God, that guy just broke his racket in frustration. Damn. Damn. Uh, he is a psychonaut. Although it's not super clear that Pemulus is a big user. He's a big supplier. He he's a casual user and. A big supplier. Yes, he's not he, like he's he uses a uh, uh, drins. He's, he's yes, like a you're right. Mild, mild, mild yeah. drins. Uh, I would like to do a crime, please. Please, what's the fu- what's please commit a crime? Please commit a crime. Oh gosh, golly me, a oh, crime! crime? Uh, I like this pemulous character. He's kind of based. He is. He's he's kind of nice with it. Yeah, he's he he's a uh, 
He's a real one. It's it's interesting too that he's like I won't sell to people who remind me of my dirtbag Boston past because it's just like not worth yes. it. He's like if I, I got I got out of that neighborhood, <laughs> I will be selling to premium customers only, please. My dirtbag Boston past. That's almost like a whole, that would be like a whole steady song. What is that? What is that one whole steady song you really your like? Little, your little hood rat friend. Your little hood rat friend. My dirtbag Boston past. Yeah. Uh, my dirtbag Boston past is catching up to me. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, no, that guy's that guy's voice is right in my wheelhouse, which is guys who can't sing, so they just talk loudly and rhythmically. Uh, another version, not not the same tenor, but another version would be the guy from B-52s, of course. Yeah, exactly. He, but he's the exact same thing, except pitched up into your nose. Yeah. My dirtbag Boston past is catching up to me. <laughs> um. Anyway, we'll probably be light on the actual discussion, though. I'm sure we'll rope it around because, Molly, I wanted to leave this space open for you to discuss the 2002 film Drumline. I've been drum drumline pilled. I hold this space for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I had asked you if we could maybe do an emergency in introducing, and you suggested this instead, which I think is, is good and right. Although I did find, I mean, most of the stuff I want to talk about is based in a... Uh, oral history of drumline published in the uh the undefeated a sports site for thinking folks for us wow i would have oh, I, I would have put money on that being a vulture article oh yeah no it's i mean it, they, if anything they kind of swooped in i'm just drumline is to me it was a movie i'd heard i'd seen on twitter that someone said it had just popped on hbo max i was like we got to see it again in my head the association was drumline was a movie that came out in 2002 when i was in sixth grade and I watched it definitely not in theaters. I think I rented it from the movie store, Mm -hmm. video store and was like, yeah, this is like, you know, teen, this is like an exaggerated, like teen slash college story. Right. Um, and as we were talking about before, part of a glut of like that kind of, uh, there was a, a bunch of turn of the millennium, like dance competition, music competition, like usually black or, but not always movies. Yes. I will say that this is related because this is a good movie thing because this is a bunch of boys who are in an educational facility for a skill that they have. And it's a pseudo martial education, yes. right? They're trained the way soldiers are, which yes. I don't think it's it's a complete one to one, but the boys at ETA definitely yes. have a similar training where you're the idea is you're abandoning your normal human self to become like a, a like a machine a rigid yeah a drum machine yeah. the difference being that the marching bands of drumline have to play together collaborate they are better together one band one, sound. one band one sound versus tennis you are all together but you are all alone yes that's the isolation of it you're and fighting, so the you're crux, fighting against yourself you're fighting against yourself drumline though is a movie also about fighting your dad Yes. You have Nick Cannon, who's from New York, which I also didn't pick up at the time that there was like a culture shock thing where he's from, uh, I assume, a a rougher neighborhood in New York. And he comes to Georgia. Georgia. To the uh, the fictional Atlanta A&T University, fictional historically black college. You were telling me that there's a thing in like YouTube comments about Drumline where people insist that A&T University is real. Is real. Yeah. There, I was watching a bunch of Drumline clips on YouTube and people are like, that's so crazy that like they made up this college and then someone will respond and be like, it's, it's a real college. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> that's not a school you can matriculate at, dog. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, so he, Nick Cannon is this young, young hotshot, like, uh, you already 
posited as this guy who's a, 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 a extreme talent. A in, drum pro- prodigy. A, a drum prodigy, specifically snare prodigy. And he goes to this college where he's expected to uh, play uh, as one mm-hmm. with many others, but he's used to standing out and shining. And the, the so he's battling this sort of like out of touch band conductor who only wants to play like Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh, <laughs> and Flight of the Bumblebees. And Flight of the Bumblebees when everyone else is playing modern like, you know, band versions of, of hip hop songs. Yeah. So he's like battling that guy and his taste. He's battling his section leader because his section leader, you know, it's that feeling of when you like James in Condenza and his dad, his dad is like, we're going to play tennis today, mm-hmm. but I can already tell that you're going to be better than me. And that's going to be a very unpleasant experience the day that you beat me on the court. And the same with this section leader, this ball guy who's like, fuck, this guy's so good, but I need to learn to teach him humility yes. and to fall in line because he there, it's a drum line. It's not just one guy. Yeah, it's not drum guy. And more so, Nick Cannon's character also has a deadbeat dad before he takes the bus. By the way, he took a bus from New York City to Georgia. That can't be a pleasant experience. Yeah, with nothing but his drum on his back. He goes to, I guess, the subway where his dad like works at the ticket booth. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just wanted to tell you that like I'm I'm. I'm, I got a scholarship. I'm going to college. I'm going to play drums. And I did it all without you. And the implication that his father has abandoned him. Mm-hmm. So like, so there's all this stuff going dad. on. He needs to find a new dad. But I think by the end of the movie, it's kind of like, I don't know if, it, if it's ever resolved that he's happy with his new dads. But he, he becomes one. He recognizes yeah. at the end that you have to play together in order to win. He learns honor through respect. He learns honor through respect. And self-sacrifice. And the, the self-sacrifice of his own greatness to the bigger good of, of team accomplishment. Right. Uh, and he also, there's a, a Because you plot. know what? Yeah. You, you, don't get to, you don't get to drum in the Georgia Dome at a contest as a single drummer. You only get to go there as a band. You only get, and you're only, you only sound great and amazing. And there's this great trope in it that uh, early on in the movie, it's the first time he's accepted as part of the squad. It's like day one, and the section leader is going to teach them this cadence, which cadences are like the little short things that yeah, they yeah, do the, in their the battles. Uh, and he's like, he demonstrates it. And he's like, this, will, this is going to take like weeks to learn. And he demonstrates it, and then he's about to like move on, and then Nick Cannon, beat for beat, does the same thing. Right. Because he memor he he's a auditory learner he can memorize shit mm-hmm. and it's it looked cool it sounded great at the end of the movie when they are going up against uh morris brown yes uh and it's their last cadence that's the only yeah, thing they morris got brown, the show the show off hip-hop school who show off hip-hop school Petey pablo and like who drives a maybach the, onto, yeah, the, onto the field as like a car to the field at the last the final like battle drum uh is like their their drum performance and i'm like is this allowed is, is this, this <laughs> is there anything in the rule book that judges, says you, uh, judges? Is this allowed? Wait, we were allowed to bring Petey Pablo to our, our drum performance every uh, this whole time, and every, nobody else did. Everyone in in the uh, all the other bands are like, man, fuck, we could have got Petey Pablo. <laughs> like, I got I I know someone who knows fucking uh, uh, Outcast. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> um, but anyway, the last cadence they play in their final drum battle that decides everything between them and Morris Brown, they all the snares play that cadence that yeah. Nick Cannon so. Um, crassly and yeah. uh, cockily demonstrated, and guess what? It was even better when they all did oh, it yes. together. It sounded fucking insane. Yes. Anyway, the, I just I've been obsessed thinking about. It's also just a really 
well-made, interesting movie, great script. Like, I just, I guess I remembered it as like just another teen, a movie oriented towards teens. Mm -hmm. But I think there was something else going on there. I'm probably not quite as bullish on Drumline as Molly is. I still really like the movie. I would call it a an exceptional middle brow mm-hmm. movie, which is great. Mm-hmm. Love middle brow movies. There's space for them. And I, the thing that I was thinking about is that there was in the aughts this whole little mini genre of like performance based. I mean, I guess you would call them at the time urban, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, largely black uh, college films. Uh, I, side note. I kind of think the term urban to denote black is racist. Oh, yeah. I think it needs to be retired. Yeah, I think I feel like it's fine to say a movie's black. Well, it's, it's like a double it's like a double backed racist term because it's, I think people convince themselves calling things like, oh, it's a black movie is racist. And so you had to, to, to invent a term that meant black but wasn't black. Well, I, I mean, I remember I don't I don't know if this is a common experience, but growing well, but, up in Vermont, which was super white, I remember when it was it's you have to say african-american because if you called if you said something is black it almost felt like an insult or a slur yeah exactly i know that's not right but like i remember being kind of told or taught like that's it's disrespectful to say black say african-american urban is so funny it's like imagine if we just said that's a city movie (laughs) god As opposed to the genteel country movies that star white that's people. A me- that's a that's a metropolitan movie right there. One of, one of, one of those hip hop metropolitan movies. <laughs> but anyway, there was that whole genre that was like step up, step of course, step up to the streets. Yep. Um uh Stomp the Lot what was it? Stomp the Stomp the Yard. yard? Uh and I remember seeing all these movies in theaters uh and enjoying them. And I kinda wish that that his genre had like persisted. Uh, kept on but i feel like that's another thing like the mid honestly like the mid-level comedy Mm. um yeah that is just getting swept away in terms of all movies being segregated into either oscar bait or billion dollar uh franchise yeah right that those are the only two two categories just like a a nice normal movie is like not really happening these days yes i i would like more normal style movies just one movie regular style yeah about you know a guy who's who's trying to learn how to dj in the his dj click in college the the only other that would be sick uh the only other thing i'm thinking of um Wait, what am I? What am I thinking of? I think I've lost my train of thought. Drumline. Drumline. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always thinking about drumline. Uh, no, I've lost it. So, to All right, take over. I can move on to up. my other thing, which is that I I have identified another internet chaos uh, Ooh, rune. Tell me more. Which is uh, the Zack Snyder superhero movies. <gasps> oh. I mean, the superhero movies in general are are something that make people very mad. I like thinking about like the the weird constant uh refrain that keeps coming back of like the 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 imagined battle between martin scorsese and superhero movies like you can either get one of these things or the other and they must be like opposed to each other and the desire for like to imagine martin score you one must imagine martin scorsese enjoying age of ultron yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh you know like like the attempt to to legitimize this, these this pop franchise by saying speci- not just that big directors, but specifically Martin Scorsese would like them. Yes. Uh, but the the Zack Snyder movies, for whatever reason, particularly seem to draw people insane. I, I think it's because people, partially because people derive identities through brand 
preferences and Mm -hmm. so the people who like dc movies over marvel movies need to make that as like a referendum on their entire personality but the thing that i was thinking of is uh uh, a friend of chapo jesse hawkins has been going through this great bit on twitter the last few days Mm -hmm. um because it was revealed that the Zack snyder six hour recut of the justice league movie will in fact be r-rated and jesse's bit was like "Mm, don't like this I do not like that my children will be learning how to learning to say the f word from Batman, <laughs> uh, and it's just been like this whole back and forth of like Zack Snyder fans and his mention mentions being like these movies are not for children, <laughs> or like you didn't uh, you weren't mad when a uh, uh, Logan said the yeah. f word to your children children and, and him just baiting these people on like I just right before we started recording I saw him say like somebody mentioned replied to one of his tweets being like with a, a picture from like toy fair magazine of a toy figure of Batman who has like a gun in a trench coat. And they're like, this, this Batman doesn't have capes and tights. It's not made for kids. And Jesse just retweeting it be being like, uh, if you look closely in this image, you will see that it is from toy fair magazine. Toys are for children and just more people getting upset about that. Yes. Oh my God! Yeah, God forbid you say uh, to any of the the Funko Pop boys that toys are for children. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful bit. It really brings out the the man. nuttiness of the uh, from my outsider perspective because I'm not super uh, in, enmeshed in in this world. I would say, uh, like it it almost reminds me of like Taylor's like Stan behavior, yes. but like coded masculine because Stans yes. are generally coded very feminine. Like you have people in pe- the girls mentions being like, "So true, bestie," and then the Zack Snyder version of this is just being like, "I will fucking kill you <laughs> if you insult <laughs> Zack Snyder. I will come to your house and I will kill your entire family. I will say the f word to your child. I will swear at your child and I won't regret it. Swear to me." <laughs> uh, I like the idea of hearing Batman just be like, fuck (laughs) the Joker. Fuck. It's like, it's okay that things, it's okay that there are things that are for babies and that you like them anyway. It's why I still fuck with SpongeBob SquarePants, but I don't make that my entire personality. Now now I'm imagining uh, R-rated SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Fuck Fuck Uh, you, Patrick. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's, it is just one of those things. Uh, the the Zack Snyder movies are one of those things that are now like wrapped in so many fucking layers of uh, positive and negative connotations that mm-hmm. any invocation of them for any reason, you know, at any spectrum to say that they they rock, to say that they suck, to say that they are fo- simply fine. Yes, right. Will inevitably make will trigger somebody's. Uh, um, opinion matrix in the wrong way and 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 develop some kind of insane reply to them yeah um and i think yeah i think it fits into things like infinite just itself though why i keep bringing these things up Mm -hmm. because the thing itself is kind of irrelevant uh in fact i was just talking to molly um before we started this about my biggest surprise so far about this book is kind of how pop it is in its sensibility. Yeah. You know, the writing is, is certainly uh, often ornate mm-hmm. at times, uh, but the actual like substance of this is fairly uh, pop literature. It's about drugs and sports. Yeah. 
and uh, and being mad at your dad. Yeah, which are like some of the most accessible things that you can put in and literature. The construction too is also not super arduous to me. Like I'm trying to read Moby Dick right now, mm-hmm. and honestly, I'm I'm literally like comparing the two in my mind and being like, it's a lot easier to read Infinite Jest. Like Moby Dick, the sense the sentence construction is yeah. like very very complex. I mean, other than when he writes those big paragraphs that are just like super run on things, but even then, I think people get too spun around the axle about things like that and being like oh no i gotta i think that the point of those like huge run-on paragraph things is just to kind of let it wash over you you know yeah it's it's mimicking what's usually happening in the brain Uh, very very similar to but anyway yeah that that the i was kind of surprised that the the book at least in its substance has a kind of pop sensibility and but the the thing that i brought this up for is that the actual book itself gets people so turned up about the implication <laughs> what, does the it all what is it what is it what is the book implied yeah. is it that you're is it that you're too smart or is it that you you think you're smarter than you are or is it that uh you know you're actually uh dumb or is it that only geniuses can re- like yeah or, or only male ge- geniuses or you know actually uh uh only uh infinite justice actually hot girl shit <laughs> uh like the the actual th- thing itself gets totally lost in yeah it. yeah it's all what we talk about when we talk about shit yeah right and usually uh what we talk about when we talk about like Zack snyder movies is people getting irrationally angry oh i just i can't imagine liking anything or anyone enough to like be name searching and like getting defensive maybe i'll start doing that as a bit for like hamburger helper yes we're all like search name hamburger helper and if someone is like talking man shit. i made a hamburger helper today and it fucking sucked i'm gonna be like don't you dare talk about hamburger helper that way they've been helping americans for the past 60 years yes uh that'd be great you the should hamburger a- helper stand has logged on uh you should change your display name to hamburger helper stand <laughs> I really fucked myself. I should have just done my normal name for my Twitter at the fact that I don't have my last name and my handle is like deeply annoying to me because I feel like I'm not uh, un- enough of a person to like have both a non-Christian name handle and display name. <laughs> I've gotten myself into quite a pickle on Twitter.com. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, that's Drumline. Yeah, that's that's drumline. the Batman who says fuck. Hit me uh, up if you want to talk about Drumline. <laughs> um, and that's this section of Infinite Jest. I don't think we have anything else to promote. I feel like I had a good thing to wrap this all up, but I, I lost it. I'm sorry. Um, all right. That's a good chat for okay. this. It's 50 minutes. Great. All right. Uh, bye-bye. Bye.